Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. All right, we're going to be in the book of Haggai. Oh, it's way back in the back of the Old Testament. It's real small. Haggai. We'll be talking about stewarding your preparation. And if you have that handout in parentheses, uh, for the mission is really what we're looking at. We're going to take a macro look today, I think. Uh, you've, been had, you've had a lot of a lot of instruction on stewarding, and I don't want to get down into the weeds. I want to get a macro look at stewarding uh, our preparation, um, principles that will serve you for your entire life in any stage of life, any stage of ministry, any, any reality that you find yourself in, uh, this will be useful for you. So I'm just casting a real big net. I just fished you all in. I hope you're ready to be caught. Let's pray. And then we'll look at this. Lord God, uh, these are your people. And do what you want with them tonight. And uh, the same from this pulpit. Uh, God, do what you need to do. Um, Put me aside so you can do it and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, in some part, we have to see the the, the mission Uh, in light of God and man dwelling together, right? Because from the very beginning of creation, once God started creating, he was dwelling with his creation and his creation was worshiping him. We say that the theme of the Bible is a kingdom, right? And so a kingdom is about a king and his subjects being together and a king receiving worship and the subjects being there in the presence of the king. God dwelt with the angelic host. God dwelt with Adam. God dwelt with Israel, all of them as sons of God, as as many of you know, uh, until there was a separation in all of those relationships. Uh, Ultimately, of course, we know now God dwells with us, and that's the relationship that cannot be separated. Uh, But throughout history, God has wanted to dwell with his people. David understood that, and David had a heart to build a temple because he wanted wanted the, the presence, the power, and the praise of God manifested among men. And he said, let's build a temple. And God said, no, not you, David. And so Solomon gets to build that temple. But David went about preparing and preparing and preparing for that temple. Now, um, there's a a good context there from which we could talk about preparation for the mission. I'm going to be talking uh, about building that temple in the mission focus breakout session. So I'm just prepping you for December. Uh, If you want more on how to prep for the mission uh, from the life of David, you come to that breakout session. Okay, moving on. That temple was built by Solomon, and then ultimately it gets destroyed during the reign of Jehoiakim, and the people are taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, and then they spend 70 years in captivity, all right? That was a lot of history. That brings us essentially to Ezra chapter 1, where where King Cyrus of of Persia declares that that he is the, the great king of all the kingdoms of the earth, and that God has tasked him was sending those people back to rebuild a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who there uh, among, uh, among all his people, he be, his God be with him, let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And so that was the command. And so the people begin to return to the land to build the temple. And the foundation is laid. And, uh, and you see that in Ezra. At first, they, you know, they get all the, the implements, the, the, the gold and silver vessels. And then they build the altar. And then they lay the foundation. And then an enemy comes. And, and persecution arises. And then work on the temple stops. And for 10 years, the foundation sits. And nothing else happens. There is a massive failure in their preparation and in their ability to execute the mission that God had given them. And so they just went on about their lives. Probably every day going to their homes and walking by the foundation that had been built, yet nobody returning to it. The mission comes to a complete halt. And that's where you get Haggai. After, after these 10 years and, and, and nothing going on, Haggai shows up. 
And in the second year of Darius the king, Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, in the second year of Darius the king is when you get Haggai coming to deliver a word of the Lord unto the people. And before we look specifically at what Haggai delivers to the people, I want to start off with, with three foundational principles about preparation, okay? These are just big, again, macro principles about preparation, but I think they'll serve as well to set this foundation. Number one, God prepares. God prepares. Exodus 23, 20, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. God prepared a place for his people. Matthew 24, 34, or 25, 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the, from the foundation of the world, a prepared kingdom. John chapter 14, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So this is the reality from God's perspective. God is a God of preparation. He is one who is preparing, meaning doing things in advance. So when the time comes, it's ready, right? That's preparation. Number two, God wants us to prepare. Foundational truth number two, God wants us to prepare. Exodus 16, 5, and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day, they shall prepare that which they shall bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. This is preparing for the Sabbath day to be able to obey the Lord and rest on the Sabbath required preparation the day before. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 5. And the fourth part of a hen of wine for a drink offering shalt thou prepare with the burnt offering or sacrifice for one lamb. Worship, sacrifice, obedience also requires preparation. And God instructs us that if we are going to fully engage in worship with him and be fully obedient to him, we actually have to prepare for our worship and our obedience as well. Joshua 1.11, pass through the host and command the people saying, prepare you victuals. For within three days you shall pass over this Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Possessing the land required preparation and throughout scripture. These are just a couple examples. God instructs us to be a people of preparation. Number three, foundational truth number three is this. The enemy is preparing. The enemy is also preparing. Psalm 57, 6. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit for me in the midst uh, whereof they are fallen themselves, Selah. They are preparing. They are just trying to destroy me. Th Psalm 35, 7. For without cause, they hid for me their net in a pit, which without cause, they have digged for my soul. By the way, the enemy doesn't even need a real reason to prepare to, to hate you. He does. Without specific cause, you've got an enemy, and he's preparing. Psalm 140, verse 5. The proud have hid a snare for me and cords, and they have spread a net by the wayside, and they have set uh, gins for me, Selah. So these are our three foundational principles I think that we need to lay uh, as we move into this idea of preparation. And, uh, and here's a, you know, a key thought. I don't know if I put it on the outline, but it's, it's, it goes like this. If you're not preparing for the enemy, then you are already in a position to lose because the enemy is ahead of you. The enemy is already preparing and you've been instructed to prepare. Now, secondly, we could say it like this. If you are not preparing for the mission then you are declaring that you are content with not being involved in the mission. If you refuse to prepare, then you are content with just sitting on the sideline and watching the foundation never change and watching others get involved and move on. You must prepare. And so that gets us to Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, four times Haggai is going to preach a message in the book of Haggai. Put that on your outline. We won't cover all four messages. We'll only cover three. I'm not that ambitious to try to preach four messages in one night. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, the people say, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, 
but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with, with drink. You clothe you, but there is, none, there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because my house that is waste, and you run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the wine, and upon the oil, and upon uh, that which the ground bringeth forth, uh, upon men, and upon cattle, upon all the labor of their hands. The first thing that we need to look at here today, we're going to look at three realities out of these messages that, that Haggai preaches. And the first problem that we see is what I'm going to call the problem of parallel lives. The problem of parallel lives. See, what happened was this. They started to, to in, in Ezra's time, they started to build the temple. And at the same time, they started to build their house. And they started to erect the foundation for the temple. And then they would go home and they would work on the foundation for their house. And the next day, during the day, they would, they would go to their, to their temple work. And then they would come home and they would work on their house. And this is the way that their lives were developing. They had these two different realities that are developing in parallel. And we can, it's subtle, but we can fall into this trap where we start to live our Christian life as such, where, where I have the, the temple reality that's going on over here, and I'm working in it, and then I have my, my work reality, my school reality, my family reality, whatever the other realities are that I have to be building and working on in my life now, and that's going on over here. And so I'm working here, and then I come home and do this, and I've got these different worlds, and we think that they will continually run in parallel, and that forever it will be okay because the, the temple will grow, and uh, you know my business will grow, or whatever all these other things are, my, my, my degree, my education, all these things. It'll all grow together, and in the end, it'll be okay because the temple will be erected and God will be glorified, and that never happens. It never happens. Because you know, I mean, you see it everywhere on social media. Everybody's trying to make their, their, their evening, their five to nine, become their, their nine to five, right? Everybody's got a side hustle these days. Everyone's got this dual reality, and everybody's trying to do all these different things at once. And everybody's saying, you know, if I could make, make this side thing really, really good, then I could dump that main thing, right? But we do that. that that's the mindset that will take over spiritually if we're not careful. And see, we, we, try to, we try to separate out our lives and we think, well, I have to steward my family and the mission. No, you don't. I have to steward my job and the mission. No, you don't. Oh, I have to steward my education and my time and the mission. No, you don't. You get one foundation that you can actually invest in and build on. I have to build the temple foundation and everything else gets built into that. You know, the people ask, well, as you're growing, and I know some of you are there, and this, that's, that's fine if you're there, and if this example's you, that's okay. Just hear it and, you know, learn, grow. Because people ask that qu those questions all the time. You, know, you have a marriage retreat, and young people will say, ah, Pastor Brandon, how, how do you balance your, your family and the mission? I, I, I don't, actually. That's a completely wrong perspective. That's a completely wrong position. There is no such thing as family and mission. There is no such thing as parallel lives, like I'm trying to, like somehow my, I'm going to grow my family independently of the mission. Like somehow I can steward my, 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 my schooling over here or my finances over here and think that in the end it's all going to work out okay. They never overlap unless we make them overlap. When we were getting ready to move to Pakistan, uh, we had two kids at the time and, and uh, people would ask us genuinely, they would say, are you guys going to take your kids to Pakistan with you? It's scary there. <laughs> Christians, good people, 
Some even in this church, most in other churches, as we went around and, and we're talking to people. And you know what that question says? In their mind, there is a mission and there is a, another reality where I have to somehow keep my kids safe myself or, or somehow do something to protect them from what God wants to do in the mission. That doesn't exist. We're like, we're going to take them with us. Like People couldn't believe that. And then two weeks before we left, we found out we were pregnant with our third. And then people said, oh, so you're going you're gonna to wait to go, right? You surely, you can't, you can't go engage in the mission if you're pregnant. That wouldn't be wise. Good Christians, people who love God, some in this church, most out there, and when I say out there, I don't even mean Lee Summit in Tampa. I mean like all these other places we went. Like, we went a lot of places, and there were a lot of churches, and people are asking this, but that reveals a heart attitude in their mind where, where we can divide out our lives, and we, can, and we can separate out our lives, and we can isolate things away from the mission, where in God's perspective, no man can serve two masters. The reality of this position is, is that we're trying to figure out how, how do we set our affection on things above. That's singular. You get one affection. Some of you are replaying that verse in your mind. You're like, wait, I've always quoted it as affections. Because we do. We quote that as affections a lot. But you know what? You get to build one. And look, this is what happened. The people were building and persecution came and they had to give up on one. And which one was abandoned? Every one of them, it says in Haggai, you go home to your sealed houses. And the temple is what lies in waste. If we are going to be stewarding our preparation for the mission, we have got to get away from the idea that we can safely live parallel lives and build different worlds and we have got to get the place where we recognize that everything is built into one thing and that one thing is the glory of God the mission that he set us here for to bring people to the place where they dwell with him just like David wanted to and they see the power and the praise and the majesty of God magnified on earth through us that doesn't happen when I'm over here building like this, right? And so God asks the people, hey, he calls them out. He's like, this people say, and this is, so this is what happens. Three things that happens when we, when we lead parallel lives. Number one, our time management will fail. And God calls them out. This people say the time has not come. And then he responds in verse four. He says, is it time for you? Oh, you to dwell in your houses? God calls them out twice. You, you say what time it is, but look, then you also say it's time for you to do your thing. So our time management will fail. At every stage in life, there will always be a reason to, to take your focus off of the mission and onto something else at every stage in life. You're a college student. I get it. It's busy. And then you get married, I get it. Newlywed life is busy. And then you have kids, I get it. Kids are busy. And then you gotta figure out, you gotta start planning for college. I get it, it's expensive. And I don't, I don't get the things beyond that yet because I haven't lived there yet, but I conceptually understand that it, life just stays busy. And, there, and when we have two things that we're trying to manage, then our, our time management will always fail us. We will not be able to continue to manage our time if we're divided out. And when we steward our life in parallel, our time will be divided. When we steward our life in parallel, then we lose half of our opportunities to redeem the time. Or more, potentially. The more time I'm on this foundation building, the less opportunity I have to redeem the time. Because I cannot redeem the time unless I am engaged in the mission. And so we put a whole bunch of our time over here. And not over here. And we forget how to tell time. We lose track of what is really time. Psalm 132. Surely I will not come 
into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up to my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. That is the heart of a man who says, I don't, I don't deal in parallel lives and I don't divide my time. I have one, I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating, I'm not prioritizing anything except a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. And so here's the key thought. Our opportunity to redeem time depends on our ability to recognize and reconcile time as God does. And we cannot see time as God does unless we're standing from and looking from his position. So we lose all opportunity to redeem time when we cannot recognize it the way he does. Uh, a second thing that happens to us when we when we live our lives in parallel, God calls them out for their, for their time management, and then he says this twice. He says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. So we fail to consider. When we try to live our lives in parallel, I'm building this, I'm building that, then we, we fail to consider. So a key to our preparation, a key to being able to steward our preparation in the, in, the, in the macro again is that we have to be in a position where we can actually consider. And when we're divided, we can't. Haggai, two, uh, it comes up two more times in Haggai chapter 2, verses 15 and 18. Uh, he says the same things. He encourages the people to consider uh, their ways. Uh, so four times in, this, in, in these two chapters, they're, they're called out to consider. Now, it's interesting. What God tells them here to do is to consider your ways. God is not con- calling the people to consider his ways. God is not challenging the people to consider his nature or to turn themselves to him. He's actually instructing them to consider their ways, right? So God is instructing them to look inward and to evaluate what they're doing personally. Consider your ways uh, because because here's the other side. You know, if God would have said to them, hey, and if, and if you know, I were to stand up here and say to you guys, consider God's ways, and you would. You'd start looking around and you go, man, look and you'd say, look at what God is doing here. This is amazing. And you say, look at what God is doing in Tampa. And it's amazing. Look at what God is doing in Lee Summit. And it's, it's incredible. And, and if we consider God's ways, all of us would start giving praise and we would start exalting God for all of the things that he's doing, some here and around there, because that's how God is. But his instruction wasn't that. Because he wanted you Consider your role, your involvement in all of those things. Don't start looking out there at everything that God's doing and consider that. Stop and consider your ways. Where are you at in relation to God and to the things he's doing? So preparing for the mission will require me to honestly consider my ways. And that's a tough thing. But it's a necessary part of stewarding our preparation. You know, with, uh, with my wife, for example, there are regular times throughout the year, sometimes scheduled, sometimes they just come up where we'll stop and, and I will consider my ways as a husband. And I'll do it with her, and I'll say, hey, how do you think I'm doing as a husband? Can you help me consider my ways? And that can be tough sometimes. Sometimes she goes, man, I've been waiting on you to ask me that again. <laughs> sometimes I stop, you know, and, and, and consider my ways with, in relation to the ministries that I'm in. Sometimes I'll, 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 uh, I'll pull aside... Uh, you know, uh, um, someone like Brandon or maybe Pastor Chris or Pastor Sam and some of these guys, I'll say, hey, can you help me consider my ways? And I'm not asking you, like, to tell me all the great things God's doing. I know God's doing great things. I know in some ways I'm a part of it. What about those other ways? What about all those ways? Help me consider those things. Second Chronicles 27.6. So Jotham became mighty because... He prepared his ways 
before the Lord, his God. You want to be mighty, you want to be used, you want to be equipped, you want to be somebody that God can, can do things with, then you prepare your ways before the Lord. Your ways, you consider them and then you invest in them and, and you redirect them as necessary so that you are considering your ways before the Lord. And here's our key related to this point here. I cannot steward my preparation if I refuse to acknowledge where I am and where I'm going. Right? It is impossible to actually prepare for what's ahead if I don't know where I'm at. Honestly, where I'm at. And it's impossible to prepare for what's ahead if I don't consider the path I'm on and where I'm going. I used to work in the emergency room as a nurse. Um, Thanksgiving and Christmas were great days. Because for most of the day, nobody would come in. Everyone's at home chill, right, with their family. Except, except for guys like me and Brandon and maybe a few years older. What I mean by that is we, we get to that stage in life where we look back on high school, college, glory days. And we think, I can still play football, basketball, <laughs> whatever it is. And uh, this, is what, this is what happens on Thanksgiving. Families get together, and then, uh, you know, all the, all the uncles, and then, the, like, all the, the cousins, they're like, hey, let's go out and play football. You know, and the kids are like 10, 12, 15, whatever, and, the, and then the dads and uncles are, you know, 45, 48, 52, they're up there in those years, and, and they think, they haven't actually considered their ways. All that they know is that they're as good as they ever were, and 15-year-olds don't stand a chance, and you know what happens? They have heart attacks and they come to my emergency room. I loved it. I loved it. That's an awful thing to say. I know. I, can, I confess. That's, that's the wrong thing to say. You get it, kind of. You're a nurse, right? Okay. But they would come into the emergency room and they were having a heart attack and you're like, what happened? And they go, I was playing football. And I go, I, I get it. I know what happened. <laughs> you mis uh, misunderstood the reality of where you're at and what you can do. Because... Because dads, they're like, give me one second. They do this stretch. They do this stretch. They're like, all right, I'm quarterback. And then they go, ah, and their arm falls off. <laughs> and I think it's cool when someone's arm falls off. From an ER nurse perspective. I love them, too. I want their arm to get put back on. Um... But we do that spiritually. We do that spiritually too. We don't actually get an honest evaluation of where we're at. Number three, when we, uh, when we don't, when, when we're living our lives in parallel, uh, the, the next thing that happens is, is we do great preparation and we make great investments, but we get very little return. Right? And this is what, what God was calling him out on. You're doing all of this work. You're spending so much time. Verse 6, you have sown so much, but you bring in little. And this will be the reality. We're, we're, our lives are divided, and we're trying to manage this, and we're trying to manage that. And, 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 and we feel like we're always going. And we feel like we're doing so much. And then we stop, and we, and we start to take an account, and we look at the return, and we're like, it's like there's a hole in my pocket and everything just falls out. How do I know if I'm building my life in parallel? Well, you stop and you look at the return on investment that you're getting. That would be a good test. If your life is uh, a lot of seeds with little fruit, if you are eating all the time and like, you're, you're, I'm still always hungry, uh, what else did he say? Um, you're clothed, but you're not warm. You got all of these problems. It's, it's, it's every area of your life that you invest in. Nothing is coming back. Why is that? It's because you're not stewarding your preparation, and you are divided in the things that you are building. 
So you don't get any return on your investment. If you're doing it uh, for not, why do it? I don't know about you, but I don't have time for that. I don't got enough time to waste on, on all that. All right, so that's the, the first message that Haggai preaches. The second message he begins in, in chapter 2. We'll read the first couple of verses. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory, and how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as it is nothing? And so the next message is this, and the next problem that we have this is a problem of perspective. The second focus we need to look at here for a couple minutes is a problem of perspective. God now challenges the people to, to consider the house that they're rebuilding, to consider the house that, that actually they're not rebuilding, that's just sitting there. Look at the foundation, and he, and he calls them out, and he says, how many of you saw the old house, the old temple? You know, who were the ones who were able to, to stand up and speak here? It's not a trick question. They were in captivity for 70 years. That temple's been destroyed for 70 years. Who, who then would have been able to have seen that old temple? Old pe- really old people. They got to be at least like 80 to have remembered it. Maybe they were little kids and they remember the old old temple, right? So God is calling out the old people right now, and he's saying, hey, you remember that old temple? And if you guys have read about Solomon's temple, wow. Just comparing the foundations before that temple was even built, you would have gone, this thing is garbage compared to that temple, the way that David prepared for that temple right? So God challenges the people to compare the past with the present. God actually wants his people to look back and to consider the things uh, that have come before, but the only ones who can do that are the elders, and this is important. We need elders in order to have a right perspective. None of the young people could make that comparison, but for some reason, God found it to be an important comparison because he calls it out. And for us, an important part of our growth, an important part of our uh, preparation is going to require us to engage with the elders in our lives as well. We have to have the elder voice in our life. Job 8, 8, for inquire, I pray thee, of the former age and prepare thyself to search of their fathers. Deuteronomy 32, 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show it thee. Thy elders, and they will tell thee. Psalm 44.1. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in the days, uh, in, in their days, in the times of old. Okay? So listen. We all gotta get around Elders, how do you know when you need an elder in your life? Well, you need an elder in your life. When you have entered into uh, some, some stage of your life and you're building a new foundation, a new ministry, a new responsibility, a new whatever, you're, you're building this thing and you've never been there before. You actually have no idea what the temple looks like. When you find yourself in that spot, you know who you need? You need someone who's seen that temple. You need someone who's been there before. How do I steward my preparation? How do, how do you get ready to go to the mission field when you've never been to the mission field? Well, I find somebody who has seen that temple and can make comparisons of, of, of what that, that old temple looked like to what my current foundation looks like, and they can give me instruction, and they can guide me. They can help me. So... You know what? Praise the Lord for peers. I'm glad that you all have peers that you're growing with and, 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 and in ministry with. And I, you know what? By no means do I despise uh, the youth and, and, and the people that you're growing with. Uh, but you know what? There's going to come a moment where you're going to recognize, I've never been down this road before. And you know what you need? You probably need Blake Sidebottom. Right? Someone who's, who's 30. Two. 
ish. Right? You're 19, 20, 22. You know what? You need Blake. You need Blake in your life. And Blake can be that person if he's been there, if he's been in that temple before, if it's something that he's built. And maybe he hasn't. So maybe you need uh, a Brian Bustos, who's 40. But maybe Brian hasn't been there. So there'll be times where you're going to need to get different people to help you with your growth. There are times when your Bible study leader uh, will be sufficient because he's been there and you're taking baby steps. And, and he goes, yeah, it's okay. Walk with me. And he can tell you. And there'll be times where you'll go to your Bible study leader and he'll go, oh, let's get somebody else. We need to get Uriah. We need to get somebody who's a little bit older. I haven't actually ever seen that temple. So, another key for our our preparation is this. Our preparation will fail when the only voice we have in our lives is a peer. Especially when that peer is out there. When every other voice, when we allow all these other voices to become the voice, the peers that we listen to, we make our coworkers, our counselors, and our classmates the, the ones that we share our hearts with, and, uh, and TikTok becomes my, uh, you know, my comfort, and those things become our, our peers and the only voices that we let, let in, or or, you know, uh, media and, 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 and agenda and, and the majority uh, of what people are doing and society as a whole, if that's your peer, if that's your voice, you are not stewarding for the mission very well. You're going to need, every once in a while, like um, an Arnold Thomas, you can come to you and go, bro, we saw this in the 70s. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Don't get all excited. Let me tell you what that temple looks like. And then he tells you, and then you go, oh, well, that's not, that's not a big deal. So that's the second message that, that Haggai preaches, is that you, you have to, you, you think, if you think that you have to figure it all out on your own, if you think that, uh, that, that there's nobody that you can talk to, if you think that nobody understands what I'm going through, that my situation is different, if you think that, that well, you, you know, there's just, uh, there's just so much, my life is complicated and, and I'm different, if you think that way, then you're not stewarding your preparation well, because I guarantee you, you're not that special. You're not that unique. And I don't say that to hurt your feelings. I say that because God said it. It's common. The struggles, the sins, the things that hold us up. Like whatever stones you're, you're over here laying in your life, whatever foundation you're building, maybe, maybe, I mean, you've, maybe you've got a big edifice. You've built a real nice house over here. Trust me, someone else has built that house too. You're not the only one sleeping in that bed. You may be in your world, but that's because you forgot about the body. You forgot that God designed you to actually be in a body. Remember, that's where we started this whole perspective of the mission was because God wanted his people to dwell together and with him. Oh yeah, he still wants that. Okay. So, uh, so preparations also will fail when we look at the past and we think that it's greater than what can be done in the future. And this is the danger as we start to get older too, okay? So uh, maybe the people that are a little bit older than me. So there's not a lot of those in here, but I'll just toss it out there because sometimes we do that when we're young too. Uh, we, get, we get depressed or we start to look back and we go, man, when I was in high school, I was on fire for the Lord or, or, or last year at, at the retreat, I was, God taught me so much, I was on fire for the Lord. But then these things happen and, and I'm pretty sure that my best days are behind me. Only if you refuse to prepare. Because he that prepares can be a mighty man. If you believe that the best is behind you, then, then you have lost the perspective. 
God's perspective says that as long as you're still here, the best is yet to come. And I'm not just referring to heaven. I mean even here in your ministry, in the mission. To be honest, you know, uh, a couple years ago, I kind of wondered that about myself. You know, Pakistan was, I loved it, and I knew God had called me there. And we got kicked out, and we came back. And I was like, I was in this transition in my life at, uh, you know, 40 years old as a pastor going, what on earth? God, are you done with me? Uh, are, Are my best days behind me? Look, nobody's immune to it, and that's okay. And God said, no. Praise the Lord. Why don't you start looking forward? Why don't you talk to a few? Why don't you meet Wagi? I'm going to bring Wagi into your life real quick. Why don't you meet some other guys? Why don't you meet some people? And I said, oh, thank you. Because Wagi's seen that temple. He's been in that ministry and been out and back in. Yeah? Okay. All right. Um, you know, here's a, a quick interesting point, too, uh, regarding prioritization uh, in terms of, you know, just kind of along these same lines here of uh, the problem of our perspective. When you go back to uh, Ezra, don't turn there. I'll just tell you what it says because we're running short on time. In chapter 3, it says that, you know, they, they got all of the, the vessels of gold and silver. That was the first thing they did is they started to prep the temple. And, uh, and then they, they built the altar. It says because they were afraid. Uh, so they built the altar uh, so they could offer sacrifice. And then they started to lay the foundation. And when they, when they laid the foundation, many of the priests and the Levites and the chief fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before the eyes, wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. If you want to know what is really important in this life, if you want to know what is worth your tears and what is worth rejoicing over, then look at the faithful older generation generation and see where they put their emotions, their tears, and their joy. That will tell you the things that are really valuable in life. Those who have been faithful and have gone ahead, if they're not getting worked up about it, good chance you don't need to get worked up about it. When you see them weeping, take note. Take note and weep when they weep and rejoice when they rejoice. Man, I praise the Lord for our Pastor Sam. I sometimes will come into his office and us younger guys will go, Sam, it's a big deal, it's a big deal, it's a big deal. Sam will be like, huh. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, he'll probably take a minute to talk about how the election was rigged. And then he'll go, it's not a big deal. And we're, and, we're, and we're like, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I've learned that when my elders aren't getting worked, if Sam's not worked up about it, I'm not going to get worked up about it. So you need that in your life too. All right, last. Last, third message. Here we go. Uh, in chapter 2, verses 10 to 14. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, all right, holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, uh, and, and touch bread or pottage or wine or oil, uh, any meat, shall it be holy? And they said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, it shall be unclean. And, and the third problem that we have in our preparation is the problem of our purity. And the first point that, that Haggai makes, that the Lord makes through Haggai is this. Holiness is not transferred passively. If you're clean and you're walking around and, and you touch other things, bam, does that thing become clean? Does that thing become clean? And they said, no. By law, it doesn't. Why? Because holiness is not transferred passively. In, in our church, in the kitchen, maybe in some of your houses, there's a drawer. You open it, and it's full of knives. Any of you have a drawer like that? Or seen the one down? MBT's got one. It's all full of knives. You pull one out, and you try to use it, and what happens? It's terrible, Eva says. It's, those things are so dull. They won't cut nothing. You could try to stab somebody with it, and nothing would happen. Shirt would stop it. If you stop, you're tickling me. 
But that doesn't make any sense to me because it's a drawer full of iron and iron sharpens iron, right? So you toss it back in and you close it and you wait a minute and you go, ha, now it's sharp. Is that how it works? No, because what you got to do is you got to shut the drawer and you go, and you shake it around and you pull that knife back out and what happens? It ain't sharp. You know it. It isn't sharp. Because that stuff doesn't happen passively. But we live like it does. Some of you live your life like that. You're like, you're like, I just, I, I, go to, I go to Kaya, you bounce around. You're like, I, I, go to, I go to praise nights, right? And, and you're just kind of bouncing around. You're here, and you think that just by being present, I show up on Sundays. And, and you're just like those knives rattling around in, in that drawer, and you go, ah, oh, I'm present. And you think that just by hanging out in the right spot, all of a sudden, that you're going to become holy. That's just going to rub off on me. It doesn't. It's good to have good influences and good people in your life, and no doubt that will help you out. But how does iron sharpen iron? Not without intentional friction, intentional pressure and rubbing. And that's what it takes to get you holy. Preparing uh, for the mission, stewarding our preparation is more than just showing up and being present. And bumping into people and, and hanging out and bouncing around. It requires intentionally getting put into uncomfortable positions where somebody who is sharp, somebody who is iron, can rub off those rough edges and start to sharpen you. It does not happen passively. And some have, have taken that approach to, to God's mission. Maybe because it's scary. Maybe because it's new. Maybe because you have no idea what it's all about. But for some, you do know. And you've been standing on the edge in the baby pool. You're just putting your toes in. You're just dipping in. Some of you know that's where you're at. But others of you, you've deceived yourself because you haven't considered your ways to thinking Man, I've been here for four years. I did discipleship a few years ago. And then what? And then it was this, like for the next four years, right? So some of you are there. What do you do? You start stewarding your preparation. You say, that's enough of just existing, just floating around, just being here, just being present isn't enough. It's time to get accountability. It's time to get a partner. It's time to get somebody sharp. It's time to get somebody who will rub me the wrong way for a little bit and, and help me to, to work off those burrs so that I can get sharp. It's time to get somebody who's seen that temple and can help me grow. It's time to get off the sideline and actually engage in the mission that God has. Because holiness does not transfer passively. And a dull knife is the most dangerous knife. That's what chefs say. I don't know. <laughs> no, I get the concept. You know why that is? Because they say, because you got to use so much more force and you're working and you're like, oh, and you get mad and you start swinging it and then you chop your finger off. With a sharp knife, if you get a good knife, I also don't know what I'm talking about, but, but like uh, maybe a samurai sword, like the Japanese make sharp knives from what I hear. When you get a good one, you don't use force. You just, and it's safe, and it makes precise cuts. I do know about surgery a little bit. I do see those knives. They're really sharp, and they're really precise. You don't try surgery with your pocket knife. Not that one that your son's been whittling wood with and cutting rocks and all that stuff, right? 2 Chronicles 12, 14, and he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Listen, when we fail, failure to prepare is wickedness. Failure to prepare will lead you into evil. Because holiness is not passed on passively. It requires participation. It requires active engagement. 
2 Chronicles 19.3, Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. Here's the two good things that can be said about you. You got rid of some idols, and then you prepared your heart. Can that be said of you? Are you getting rid of idols and then just preparing your heart so that God can do whatever he wants? The flip side of that example is this. Unholiness or wickedness, that passes a lot easier. What if you touched a body and you're unclean and then you walk over and you touch Brandon? Is he unclean? He is unclean. Now he's got to deal with that too. That stuff moves naturally, easily. Wickedness. Just like a, well, that's, I can't say that. We won't say that. I need a better example. That was a nursing example. It was bad. You might have you read my mind. Let's leave that there. All right. Oh, no, unholiness or wickedness is much easier to pass. Listen to this one last verse, and we're going to wrap this up. Here we go. Second Chronicles 29, 36. And Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people, for the thing was done suddenly. And this is, this is the end. Some of you just need to get involved. Some of you need to get prepared more. There's a lot of different ways we need to consider getting involved and prepared. But I think this is exactly what God is going to do with us. We are at a place in our ministry and in our growth where I think there are going to be a lot of things that are going to come up suddenly. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a church plant happening. And you're going to say, oh, that's exciting. I want to be a part of that. But you're not ready. And there's going to be a, 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 a mission strip that's going to come up suddenly. And you're going to say, oh, I really want to go. But you're not prepared. We prepare now so that when things come up suddenly, we aren't caught off guard and we are ready. And that's what you want to be. Because at the end of the day, the, thing, the, the one big thing that's going to come up suddenly is that burr, 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 burr. That's going to come up suddenly. And you're going to wish you would have considered your preparation. And you would have stewarded your preparation for the mission. We need to pray. We need to wrap up. Are we praying? Are we wrapping up? What are we doing? We're going to worship? All right. Listen, that's it. Those are Haggai's messages. Thank you guys for letting me be here with you. I pray that you consider how you're preparing and steward that preparation so that when that sudden day happens and you do stand before the Lord, you're ready. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.